0: Starting with verse 1, Luke chapter 5, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep. And let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Father, we ask that you would speak now by your spirit, every heart, every mind. Before the foundations of the earth, you knew we would be here this very morning. And Lord, we pray that that which you prepared, we would receive and believe and act upon by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Rapid Response. Rapid Response. There's a number of things that take here, place here that are rapid. Certainly the Lord wants us to have a rapid response to all of His commands, to say, yes, Lord, I'll, nevertheless, I'll do as You've said. But we'll uh, see that Jesus has the power to make anything happen anytime He wants. Amen? That uh, all things respond to Him. But mostly, for you and I, He wants us to respond to Him. He wants us to see that when we're obedient to Him uh, the great things that only God can do will happen in our life. Uh, begins. if you're taking notes this morning, I'll uh, look at three things that Uh, divide the text if you will the first is the master uh, the second is the marvels and the third is the mission so the master the marvels and the mission we start here uh, with Jesus in verse 1 the multitudes come and they press towards him it says he's uh, standing by the lake of Lake Gennesaret Lake Gennesaret is also the Sea of Galilee also known as the Sea of Tiberias. So all three names are synonymous. It's kind of like, say, New York or the Big Apple, right? Or, you know, uh, things like that. We kind of know exactly which place we're talking about, even though they have multiple names. And so uh, Lake Genesar is one of the names uh, given to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, if you are with us in previous studies, uh, the Sea of Galilee... The largest freshwater body uh, provides most of the fresh water for Israel, even to this day. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, when we were in Israel, uh, I didn't know this until we were there. But uh, the Sea of Galilee—it's fed—it's fed by freshwater springs, which actually most of that water uh, comes from places like Syria and Jordan, goes under their their land, and pops up in Israel and gives fresh water right into the Sea of Galilee. Uh, a couple of different springs feed it. But uh, that area, you know, it's well below sea level, almost 700 feet below sea level is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but then what, um, what you have around it is it rises up as uh, mountainous all around the sea. And there Jesus has been uh, spending time. We saw that he was uh, previously in uh, Capernaum, and now he is down. We don't know exactly where he's at here, but he's down by the lake And he's standing there, and the multitudes are there, and they're ready to hear the word of God. And as we look at the master here, um, this term that is used by Luke, master, uh, it's a Greek word, epistates. Uh, It's translated, or it's transliterated by the other gospel writers. They don't use this word master. Only Luke uses this term. Uh, The other authors, each of the other gospel authors... Uh, they all use the term rabbi, Uh, but this term master, uh, it's a little different. Uh, It tells us uh, someone who has authority, uh, someone who has supremacy. Uh, And Jesus certainly has supremacy, doesn't He? And we know that already, uh, whenever He taught, people said He teaches as one with authority. So this term that Luke uses, remember Luke being a physician A very detailed guide. Now the Holy Spirit uses the the background of the authors and the Holy Spirit breathes through the authors but Luke always, I shouldn't say always, but Luke tends to share facets that are not shared by some of the other writers. And conversely the same is true. John for example shares things in the book of John that Luke does not share. So different facets to the diamond, different angles. But this term master is not used by anyone else uh, in the Gospels other than Luke's. again, someone with authority, someone with supremacy, someone who governs over things. And certainly when it comes to the Word of God, Jesus, as we've talked about previously, is the Word. Amen? So He not only governs over the Word, but He will make sure it is not compromised in any way. And not only that, when Jesus would teach the Word, People are going to hear the whole counsel of God. Not what they want to hear, but all that they must and need to hear. And Jesus knows what we need to hear, doesn't he? He knows what the crowds need to hear. They're pressing him. Now, many of the reasons that people come to Christ in the first place isn't always what they mostly need. There's sometimes people come to the Lord just because they're depressed. Their life is sad, and they're they're miserable. And those are people, people came to him with demon possession, and they were sick, and they were diseased, and they're like, someone help me. And those are all good reasons, but ultimately Jesus knows the deepest need is at the heart level, more than the physical condition, more than the economic condition, more than the need for food, all of these things. And when they would come, yes, he healed many the blind and gave them sight. Yes, he healed the lepers. Yes, he cast out demons, which we saw in our previous study. He did these things, and they were great testimony to his power. But more than anything, he wanted to teach the Word of God and the life-giving power of God. His message, if you're taking notes under Master, I look at three things that the Master presents to us and certainly to the audience that was there that day. His message, His methods, and His mandate Uh, under the Master, His message. What is His message? Well, it's very clear. They came to hear the Word of God. Now, Jesus knew the whole Tanakh, which was the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. He knew all the Scriptures. He could teach from any part of the Torah, which is most specifically the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Uh, but He could also teach from anywhere else, the Law and Prophets, uh, anywhere in the Old Testament Scriptures, or the not again, for those that are Jewish would better understand it uh, in those terms. But his message was the Word of God, teaching what God had already written down. Now, anything Jesus says becomes the Word of God, but he was teaching the written Word of God that they themselves could go to the synagogue. Remember when he was in the synagogue, uh, remember we saw back in Nazareth, what took place there? He picked up and he read from the scrolls or the book of Isaiah. And then he sat down and he taught, which is exactly what the scribes or exactly what the rabbis would do. They would sit and teach. It was a sign of humility to the Word to sit there and teach. And they would sit down and then teach the Word of God. And he taught that this has been fulfilled in your hearing, speaking there of Isaiah chapter sixty-one. But wherever he would teach from, he would teach them things that people were like light bulb moments going off, saying, "I never knew it meant that. I didn't know that was written." Even many Hebrews would not remember vast passages, just like you and I forget verses. And then someone says, it, "And like I forgot all about that verse." And Jesus would remind them what the Word said, teaching the Word of God, His message. It is the same thing that should still be done by all those who have been called as messengers of the gospel today. Every pastor should still focus on nothing less than preaching and teaching the Word of God. While many pastors and pulpits today are teaching antidotes for successful living... You ever heard any of those? Those in and of themselves aren't wrong if they're complementary to the Word of God. But many of those have replaced the Word of God altogether. Some are teaching how to be happy and fulfilled, but the Word of God has been cast aside. They're not teaching the Word of God in many cases, and worse still, a growing number of pastors in our own country They don't just ignore the Word of God. Many of them don't even believe it at all. You say, Tim, are you going a little bit overboard? One mainstream denomination in its 2011 nationwide survey, again, this 2011 mainstream denomination, close to 2 million members, asked their pastors how they feel about the following statement. Here's the statement. Only followers of Jesus Christ can be saved. 41% of the pastors agreed with that statement, or strongly agreed. 45% disagreed or strongly disagreed that one need to follow Jesus Christ to be saved. Mainstream denomination, 45% of their pastors, I'm not talking about the people in the pews, 45% of their pastors do not believe one needs to follow Jesus Christ To be saved. Stunning, isn't it? That's just one. I could do the research on others, and there's many out there. This isn't to say Calvary Chapel's perfect. We're not. We're flawed men like anybody else. But that's all the more reason why flawed men must teach and believe the Word of God. Because then you're not following men. And Jesus, well, he's the only one that can say, follow me, which he does here, right? He's the only one that can say, follow me. But the rest of us, we better never veer away from the Word of God because even the master didn't veer away from the Word of God. He could have taught any new thing, but he taught the written Word. And it was a teaching. Now remember, not only is he teaching the Word of God to the people that need to hear it, but he's also training the disciples in what they will need to do someday. Understand that Jesus really does kill multiple birds with a single stone. And you and I can do the same if we follow in the footsteps of the Master. He said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, speaking to the men that should have known the Scriptures and should have been proclaiming them in all their truth, you are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures or the power of God. It's the Scriptures that reveal the power of God. You and I have to hear them, again and again and again and again you need to hear them not just on sundays or even sundays and wednesdays if you're able to come but in your own personal study you need the word of god to cleanse to convict to comfort to keep you close to the lord and the crowds that pressed in they needed the word of god as well they needed it for salvation but they also needed it to know what it, what what it was that god wanted each of them to do let's look at his methods uh, there's two boats standing by the lake. The fishermen had gone from They were over there washing their nets. Peter and, and uh, James and John, they were over there washing their nets. It was a common thing. And uh, when you have fishing nets, you've got to get all the debris out of them if you don't. Uh, it's bad for the nets. They can tear. They become heavier. than the, They become more taxed than they need. You've got to get things out of the net that would actually cause them to be corroding or, or falling apart sooner than you want. Just cleaning the nets, easier to get, things, you get the fish out. A lot of different reasons that they would clean the nets, but they're over there cleaning the nets so the boats are empty and Jesus decides He's going to use one of these boats the crowd is coming in really close. Now, again, as I mentioned, the Sea of Galilee, close to 700 feet below sea level. Uh, there's, the reason why there's great uplift on the mountains around it is because you've got uh, the rift, that's the rift valley, and you've got two different plates that are colliding there, which they dive down, which is why it's well below sea level, but then it pushes the hills around them up, so you've got this pretty steep incline. Uh, the south end of the Sea of Galilee kind of has a, a flatness to it because the river flows all the way down to the Dead Sea. But most of the area, if you're ever there and you get a chance to walk around the Sea Galilee, you'll see it has a natural incline uh, coming out. So Jesus, as he says, hey, I'm going to uh, stand in one of these boats. Can you guys push me out a little ways? It makes for somewhat of a natural amphitheater, if you will, because you've got the crowd is down near the water. He'll be on a flat spot in the boat and they'll actually be on a little risers, if you will, as the land begins to rise. And naturally, which we don't have that here, but you know, a lot of churches that are built with that kind of rise, you've got a little bit of an amphitheater effect. We don't know exactly where he's doing this, but uh, again, he wants to be where everyone can see and hear him. And of course, his voice is going to project well uh, from that direction. And he uses the boats here as somewhat of a teaching platform. And not only does he get in uh, in the boat, uh, but when he gets in the boat, he sits down. Somewhat of an outdoor synagogue, if you will. Because as we saw when he was in the synagogue and all the other rabbis and priests would do the same, they would take the word and sit down and teach from a seated position. He's sitting there in the boat and begins to teach. And we see that he uses their boats. These boats belong to Simon. Or uh, gets into one of the boats, which was, the boat was Simon's. And it reminds us, is the Lord currently using what you and I have been given for his kingdom? Simon's boat, given to him by God, whether he consciously recognize it was given to him by God, whether you and I consciously recognize that every single thing you currently have is but by the grace of God. True? Every single thing. At any moment, God could remove it. At any moment, he can quadruple it. Job (laughs) saw this firsthand. Didn't he? It all belongs to the Lord. The Bible says all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine, it all belongs to the Lord. We have been given, specifically as believers, we have been given stewardship, which means we have a time period to manage it. But the boat that Simon was under possession, Jesus says, I have need of it. I'm going to use it for a platform. I'm going to use it to project the Word of God. I'm going to use it to teach from A good reminder for us that everything we have, is Jesus able to use whatever we've been given? Is he able to use whatever we've been given for his purposes? The car, do you use it to go and serve and go and worship, or do you only use it for yourself? The house, is it used for hospitality? Is it used for fellowship? Is it used for discipleship? God gives us these things. The Bible says Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Isn't that great? That what we've been given, the Lord says, I give you these things, but will you make sure they're surrendered to me? Are you going to be available when I say, use it for me? Some of these things, uh, the Lord can kind of drop in our lap out of nowhere. Uh, Some of them, you know we uh, I remember a couple we had, in our house we um, for several years when I was still in the business world, uh, when we had built our, when we had our, uh, our house built, uh, the the there was a third floor attic space that they had roughed in, and we had uh, desired at some point to finish it out uh, and use it for traveling missionaries and people that would come through town. But I could never justify the cost. I didn't really need it, couldn't come up with all the money that was required. And then when my in-laws, they had moved down to Florida. My father-in-law didn't want to um, uh, stay at a hotel when they came, so he went in half. And it was neat because when we went in half, the economy had dropped out, and I got like 40% savings on doing it. And then my father-in-law went half on me. Uh, So since that time, we've been able to host, uh, we hosted a Muslim general and his family from Iraq. We've hosted a brigadier from Africa. We've hosted family uh, Pastor Dima and his wife from St. Petersburg, Russia. All these different, and it's a long list. And the Lord, it's a blessing. And many of you have been able to do the same thing. But it's a blessing that whatever God has entrusted with us, we're able to use it for His service. Isn't it great that that uh, these things are not for us. It really is more blessed to give than receive, but we don't learn that until we walk in it. And the Lord wants us to know this. His methods, He's going to do things a little bit different sometimes. Well, you know, this isn't a normal way to teach. You know, most people teach in the synagogue. It's good for us to know that God breaks up our assumptions. He'll do things in odd ways. He might start a ministry in a strange way. Uh, that some people will look on and say, well, that'll never work. That's usually when it'll work, as soon as everyone says it won't work. That's not the way the priests and the rabbis do it. All the more reason, Jesus would say, to come down here by the water. No distractions. Let me speak directly to you. His methods. How about his mandate here? Well, what is his mandate he stops speaking, and he says to Simon, "Remember, they just they just finished cleaning the nets. We're about to put them up till the next night. They generally f- fished in the night. Uh, the reason being is when they would fish at night, the fish would come into more shallow water. Uh, not again. There was a range, but the more shallow water. When I say shallow, some some depths would be." You know, really, you know, like a foot or less, and some shallow depths would be 20 feet, but still relatively shallow uh, compared to the center of the Sea of Galilee, which much, much, much deeper. And they would fish at night and uh, mainly around the shallow, more edge of the lake. But they would put the nets away after they cleaned them for the next time to go out. Well, Jesus turns to Simon and says, "I," you know, I, he doesn't say it, but Jesus is aware that they just finished washing the nets and that they're about to put them away. And Jesus said, "Uh, I'm done teaching for at least a few minutes. Head out in the middle of the lake, throw down the nets for a catch. Well, Simon answers and says, "Uh, we have toiled all night. We've caught absolutely nothing. Nevertheless, we'll head over there. head out they've been washing their nets preparing for the next time to go out it's a reminder to us are you and i are we continually maintaining what god's entrusted with us are we always preparing for the next time that jesus says do this or just our next responsibility preparing for tomorrow preparing for next week preparing for things in the family Are we keeping ourselves clean as they were keeping the nets clean? Keeping ourselves clean for whatever the Lord wants us to do. Keeping ourselves clean, ready for ministry. Yeah, they were ready, but now comes a a step of faith. Because Peter's thinking, we don't know much, but we know how to fish. You know, Peter is not like the Harvard-trained guy. Peter was trained by the school of hard knocks. He was rough. He was rough around the edges. Um, I'm sure at some point uh, that um, you might have looked at Peter and say, uh, is this really the right type of candidate to be a pastor and evangelist? And the Lord usually looks for the worst possible candidates. Remember the man of Gadara? (laughs) He would end up preaching to Decapolis. Uh, You don't usually recruit someone who's uh, naked running around from tomb to tomb to be an evangelist. But that's that's one of the people that Jesus chose. But Simon was a, a fisherman. And he may not have been good at everything, but he was good at fishing. The business appears to be successful, multiple boats. They even had a partnership. Other partners were involved. Uh, it certainly was a business that had been handed down through the family. And he's thinking to himself, nobody catches fish out there in the deep. Definitely not in the daytime. Because in the daytime, what the fish would do in the Sea of Galilee, and I presume other, those of you that are fishermen could probably even give more insight on this, but I know uh, in studying the Sea of Galilee situation the fish in the daytime will generally go out into the deep part and well beneath where most nets can reach. Out in the deep part during the daytime, then in the night they come closer back into shallow areas. But Peter would know this but he says nevertheless is it possible that God knows something we don't? Nevertheless, a lot of the things that the Lord asks us to do in the scriptures don't seem on the surface to make a lot of human sense. They don't make sense. I remember when I had first saved and I was listening to Dr. Tony Evans on the radio. Anyone ever hear Dr. Evans on the radio? The Urban Alternative. I remember I was newly saved and um, he was talking about people with financial trouble and he had a couple in his office and and they were saying, Dr. Evans, we, we just, we're we struggling financially. And Tony said, you better start giving. That wasn't the advice they were expecting or hoping. And it doesn't seem to make sense, but the Bible makes it clear that he who waters himself will be watered. And, uh, all of these things in the scriptures. Uh, it doesn't seem uh, to make sense that if you were Moses and you were told to go to speak to Pharaoh, that that's going to work out. Well, you know, I'm wanted for murder in that country. Uh, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, I'm a shepherd. Uh, Let me, Lord, let me count the ways that Pharaoh would hate to see me and lose my head. Doesn't make sense that uh, you know the Lord could take a few fish and loaves and and divide it. But when the Lord tells us to do things, if you were with last week. Wes Bentley's message, it was a great reminder that when the Lord says to do something, do it and don't compromise because if we do, everything else will be compromised. We have to stand for truth even though, Lord, this is probably not going to work. But it will. And his mandate was clear. Launch out into the deep. Go catch some fish. The other thing about the deep is the things that God tells us to do um, it's hard to reach things that are in the deep. And you might even ask yourself, how in the world would we even do it? I mean, how, how low can the nets go? Uh, K.P. Ohannon, after he first got saved, those of you that know he's a president of the Gospel for Asia, I remember reading in his book, and he was, he was riding through India. India's got, he was riding on a train. Uh, India's got a billion plus people. And he's riding through India, and he's like, it's daunting. He's like, how in the world, God, can we reach a billion people? How? And the Lord just, just reach one. Just reach the people around you. Just reach wherever I send you. You let me worry about the multiplication effort that's going to be required to reach a billion people. Because it can look daunting. You can walk. I sometimes, I'll I'll find myself walking through a, a crowded area. I see all the people. I'm like, Lord, how in the world do you reach all these people? And the Lord says, I can send you to the deepest, most impenetrable place and move. The stories that have been told throughout history of places that God has reached that no one can reach. Deep places are hard to reach places. And the Lord says, head out there. Just throw down the nets and let me move. Let's look at the marvels that take place, starting in verse 6. And then when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and the net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Can you imagine the scene here? I mean, try and really put yourself in the place of Peter. All of you have a vocation, but if you were fishermen and you were really good at what you do and you had fished all night the night before, hadn't caught a single thing, washed the nets, were route ready to put them away, and Jesus says, hold on, head out there, middle of the day, where no one catches fish, where they're really deep, your nets can't reach them anyway, Just put out the nets and go for a catch. All right. You know, they might have been impressed if 100 fish got in the nets. Amazing. It blew their minds. Fish came roaring up from the bottom, diving into the net. Just so much that the nets were breaking. Fill one boat, Not enough. There's still more. Bring the other boat. Fill the other boat. Both boats overloaded to the point of almost sinking. Getting them into shore. What a scene. This was a teaching moment for everybody, wasn't it? The master that just taught the Word of God is master of all, isn't he? See, Peter was good at fishing, Jesus created fish. (laughs) Peter was good at knowing where fish were. Jesus was good at telling fish where to go. There's a big difference in God's abilities and our abilities. We need to get out of the Lord's way by walking in his spirit and let him move in a powerful way. I mean, literally, Jesus simply says to the fish, and there's no mention, but at some level, the Holy Spirit, fish, get in net now. And they do. Another thing that we see here is, remember, Peter had yielded his boat to the Lord Jesus. What did Jesus do? He filled the boat twice over. You'll never outgive God. See, many people, they hold on. I don't want to have people over. This is my time. I don't want to have hospitality. I don't want to share what I have. I've worked hard for this. Someone's kid might color on this. That's true, they might. You can't protect from all the things that God will allow to happen to your, which is not your stuff, and my stuff. Because it's not our stuff, is it? It belongs to the Lord. The Lord says, but if you'll release it, Peter, I'm going to use your boat. (laughs) Okay? Now I'm going to fill it. What we release, God will use in a great way. You can't outgive the Lord. It's a little gesture. Sure, use my vote to teach in. Jesus fills it. Never outgive the Lord. Someday at Pentecost, when Jesus fills Peter with the power of the Holy Spirit, someday at Pentecost, I believe Peter would have remembered this day when literally men jumped into the net. 3,000 people added that day. When Peter gets up to preach, like, What did I say? I just read from, all I did, I preached the word. He read from the book of Joel. He didn't give any antidotes for living, no antidotes for success, no nothing, just said, thus saith the Lord, and men jumped into the net. And I think he would remember back this day, say, I've seen this somewhere before. It was a metaphor the first time for what would take place in the spiritual realm. As it says in Matthew 9 38 and Luke 10 2, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest. The harvest always belongs to the Lord. You and I can get discouraged when we don't see things happen. You simply have to remember, He's the Lord of the harvest. If, if we've been obedient, because God can bless like this, and there's other times, like Noah, preaching for a hundred years, and he's like, No one's coming, Lord. This is a gigantic failure, and i got a boat sitting here doing nothing. God says, give it time. Give it time. The work I've asked you to do, I'll bless it when I say it's time for a harvest. The Lord will do the work. His mandate, his, under his marvels here, the astonishment. It says this is what took place. Verse 9, for all who were with him were astonished. Everyone was amazed. Everyone's jaw was open. Could not believe it. And then look at Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. They dragged the boats to shore. Peter's blown away. He knew that Jesus was his master. He knew that Jesus had power. He had seen Jesus cast out demons. He had seen Jesus heal people. He had seen him heal his own mother-in-law in in the previous chapter. He knew Jesus had power, but something about in his sphere of life, he was a fisherman. It struck close to home in a way that, oddly enough, God will do something in your life that will strike closer to home than something else. It will really get your attention. And it really got his attention, and he realized Lord, I don't deserve this kind of goodness. Did you know when I went out to the center that I was doubting you the entire time? You ever been there? Lord, did you know that when you got in my boat, I was mumbling and complaining because I was about to clean the boat? And now I was going to have to stay an extra because you teach for a while, But I said, okay, I'll clean the boat later. Did you know that I was complaining in my heart and you still blessed me? Sound familiar? And all Peter could do, the Holy Spirit just pricked him. He wasn't just kind of, well, that's the goodness of the Lord. He was struck to a deep, deep conviction of I am not worthy and fell down at Jesus' feet. Luke, so far, has only referred to Peter as Simon. He's only, at, at this juncture, Luke has only referred to Peter as Simon. Notice that he says in verse 8, Simon Peter. Peter means in Arab, uh, Arabic, Kepha, and if you take his Hebrew name, Shimon, in his Aramaic or Greek name, it would be Shimon Kepha or Shimon Petros. Petros is the Greek word, means Simon the Rock. But here, Luke inserts his future calling now. And what it tells me is that our calling is made manifest when we become most humble. Simon the Rock is Simon the Rock because he's Simon the Humble. The more we bow down at the feet of Jesus tells us in the Scriptures that when we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. But when we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. And the more Peter realizes, I am not worthy, Jesus, now you'll have a great harvest. The more you and I believe, we're not worthy for the air we breathe. It's a good thing. Americans are fixated on self-esteem. God is fixated on come and bow down and be humbled before me. And then you won't have to worry about self-esteem or depression or all the other stuff. You'll, you'll have your eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and he will do things that you're not able to ever even comprehend. And this is what Jesus wants to do. He falls down. I'm a sinful man, Lord. Lord, I, I don't deserve your blessing. I don't deserve what you've done. I don't be- deserve you've blessed me and my... Uh, team here tremendously. The partners, by the way, I didn't mention it, but very worth noting. When the Lord calls us, notice that we're not an island. Partners became involved in Peter. They all have, when the Lord calls me, he doesn't call me alone. He calls you with me. When he calls you, he calls me with you. But the work the Lord does in one individual, especially in a public setting, is a work that's supposed to have impact on the entire body of Christ. And that's what takes place. Peter's humility is a testimony to everybody else too. This is the response they all should have. Because Peter's not the only sinful person there. He's representative of all of them. They all should have the same response. Lord, the fact that you've even done this in our presence tells us that you're the Lord of heaven and earth. You can, conv- you can, you can uh, cleanse from sin, but you also can do the miraculous. Let's close it looking at the mission here. The mission Peter's given from the Lord a new calling. He says, Simon, don't be afraid, because all of us are afraid to go catch men. We are, aren't we? The fear of man man is a snare. All the prophets dealt with it. All the apostles dealt with it. You and I deal with it constantly. We're we're generally afraid. We'll talk to people about almost anything but the gospel. Peter says, don't be afraid, but you're going to now go catch men. Gulp. This is your new calling, Peter. Your new commission. You'll have a new calling. All the expertise that you have as a fisherman, you'll eventually have that kind of expertise in reaching people. All the diligence, all the hard work, all the preparation, all the tedious details you've applied to fishing you will soon apply to preaching me, the Messiah, to other people. Um, I was in, in my Bible, my notes, um, I, I had left the business world in 9-7-2012, uh, uh, and I had my notes a year later. I just happened to be in this tech. A year later to the very week, I was in this tech, and I wrote in my one-year removal from the business world. I remember when I was transferred, uh, I got a job transfer from Charlotte, North Carolina up to here, and my hiring manager, I was, I was this close to being transferred, uh, and I really wanted the position, uh, it was a management position in our company uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I really wanted to go there because it was going to be a great opportunity, and I had all the other managers had recommended me at the last minute, that door closed on me, and then the Lord moved me to Richmond, which is where I had lived during my middle school years, and Lord moved me back here. And I remember t- being on the phone with my hiring manager and the position I was uh, being given, uh, he, was, he was in the middle of doing two jobs. He was managing uh, one group in our, in our organization, but then uh, he was also finishing up another position in our uh, consulting services practice at the time. And I remember him using this term. I don't remember anything else he said in that call, But I remember this term, and Lord reminded me of it like years later. He said, i got to get off. He goes, the job is yours. And I I didn't leave the company. I just transferred within the company. They gave me a reload package, and I moved up here. But he goes, the job is yours. He goes, i got to get off the phone. I've got a huge whale on the line. Now, I knew exactly what he meant. But some of you might say, what in the world does he mean? Well, in in, uh, large... Fortune 500 sales and consulting. It meant he had a multi-million dollar contract potential on the line. And Tim, I'd love to talk to you longer, but I've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, hang up, you, you're, you just head on up, work with HR, they'll get you up here. I've got to go get this and bring it in. And over the course of, you know, my own life and in that career, uh, you know, that was something that you always were looking to bring in these monster contracts, you know, ones that would, would exceed anything before. And so the Lord, in anything you do in life, God says, Whatever you did in the past, now some of you, you will continue to do the same thing the rest of your life. But the Lord wants you to have the same passion for him, actually, not the same, more passion for him to do the same things for the Lord. And that the Lord would, in your life, do the same things and greater things than what you're doing in your job as a fisherman, as an accountant, as a doctor, as a lawyer, as whatever it is your profession in life. The Lord says, I will give you a new hunger and thirst to reach people. This is all of our calling. It's not just for Peter, is it? It's not even just for pastors. There was a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to do, and everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody would do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it it ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. (laughs) I think you know what all that means, tongue twister as it is. R.A. Torrey said, to win men to acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is the only reason Christians are left in this world. He says, it's the only reason we're left in this world. You see, if your bank account shows... $2 $2 million, and last year it was only a million. Did you know that I just read, I saved the article because trust me when I tell you that in the days to come, these things will be testament against us, not for us. Americans' net wealth went up like 14% according to articles that came out this past week because home values went up and the stock market went up. Trust me, the stock market is not worth close to 20000 The earnings of companies do not, it doesn't make sense on paper. I worked with large companies. I saw so many things that don't add up. But nevertheless, if you were on that Malaysia airline, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account, does it? But it would matter if the person sitting beside you shared Christ with you. That would matter the second the plane goes down and no one sees it on the radar screen and it's gone, it's off the screen, it's irrelevant what big business deal you did. It's irrelevant how much you have. It's irrelevant that you just put a beautiful pool in the backyard. You're not going to get to use it when it is appointed on the man once to die and after this the judgment. This is why R.A. Torrey says, the only reason we're still on this earth is to reach other men. Jesus said, I'm going to take teach you to catch men, because men must all someday kneel before me. Every mat, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Did you know 73%, I just saw this uh, statistic this week in a study done, 73% of people who do not attend church have never been invited? This is in America. You and I have an, a tremendous opportunity coming up. It's called Easter Sunday. So I'm getting mad if I use the word Easter. So Resurrection Day. I'm okay with both terms. But we have an opportunity to just invite someone. Just invite someone to church. 73% of the people that don't attend church say they've never even been invited. That's a lot of church folks that have not invited un- unsaved people that just don't know the Lord. And they might not always, and by the way, this has nothing to do with Calvary Chapel of Richmond. My wife and I have been inviting and witnessing and sharing to a certain couple for what, 10, 11 years now? And uh, recently, they started going on a Wednesday night to a, not here, and I'm okay with that, on a Wednesday night, and they are taking a class on what is Christianity. They just told us this. Now, I don't say, why don't you come hear me? We've been working on you for 11 years. I couldn't care less if they come here. I want them to come to Jesus. The point is, we've, the fish that Peter catches, he's not even going to keep them anyway. They all belong to the Lord. So the point is, if we reach out, it's, uh, estimates are between 95 and even higher that of Christians that have never shared their faith even once. This can't be. Proverbs 11.30 says, He who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. This is what we've been called to do. Matthew 24.14, especially true in the days in which we live, Jesus said, In this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. You and I are called to hasten the return of Christ by getting the gospel everywhere. And start with something simple. We've got church business cards. Just hand someone and say, hey, I want to invite you to church. By the way, when you hand someone our church business card, they are getting the gospel. Not only is John 17.7 on there, um, or John 17.3, not only is, the ver- is there scripture on there, but if they go to our website, they can't miss a button this big says, no God. And they click on that, whole gospel just invite people to come and hear the Word of God. That's what Jesus was doing. It was an outdoor service. Just come and hear the message. Let the Word of God be preached, and then let the Holy Spirit do the work. And lastly, we see the response here, the commitment. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed Him. They forsook everything and followed Him. They left The business behind, this does not mean that Peter never fished again. He actually did. But the point was, Jesus says, come on. And everything else became secondary. I meet a lot of Christians. I've been one of these folks. I know what it's like. I meet a lot of Christians that they're saved, but the Lord is not number one in their life. And and the order, it usually goes, especially for men, it goes something like this. Job and career, number one. Uh, Family could be number two, but relaxation or leisure time typically is truly in front of family. Then comes family. Then comes yard work. Then comes the Lord. Something like that. And, and this is and you can you can mix it up different ways there's different other things in there for some but generally speaking this is not unusual in the body of Christ is it very very normal jesus said not for my disciples you guys will take up a cross and follow me you guys will forsake all and follow me you guys will not just say i'm first in your life i actually will be first in your life jesus said seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added. He'll take care of the other stuff. He knows what you have need of. He knows you need to eat tomorrow. But Peter said, Lord, I'll launch out. We'll drop the nets. Notice the rapid response of Peter in each situation. You want the boat? Use the boat. Launch out the deep? I'll go out the deep. Drop the nets and follow you? I'll drop the nets and follow you. Lord might tell you sometime this week, stop and fast over lunch. Pray over this situation. Well, I don't really want to do this because I was really preparing to go to Qodoba. I've had a desire for it all week. The Lord says, let it go. It'll be there tomorrow. Whatever the thing, I don't know why that came out, but anyway. I wasn't even thinking of Cordoba, But I think I saw the sign on the way in or something, but... Uh, but Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you live in Christ, I'll tie two things together to close this out. When Jesus is do not be afraid, I'm going to make you a fisher of men or one that will catch men, and then they forsook all to follow him, I am constantly afraid of some of the things the Lord has asked me to do in my life. And I have to put them to death. How about you? I really am. I'll look at it. Oh, Lord, that's, that's pretty daunting. Uh, that's gonna, another step of faith. Lord, I don't know about this one. And what takes place is when you simply follow the Lord, the closer you get to Jesus, he then takes care of all the fears, all the doubts. It's just getting closer to Him that does all the work. If you don't follow Him, you won't forsake all. But if you'll follow Him and say, Lord, I'm going I'm to draw nearer to You. You know? You can't really put fire on a stick unless you get close to the fire. You can't take it to somebody else unless you're right there beside it. You've got to draw in and say, Lord, now that I'm close to You, I can feel Your warmth. I can take And light the fire, and go take it to somebody else. But the farther you stand away, you'll be as cold as you've ever been. But when you get closer, it drowns out the fears, it drowns out the distractions, it pushes everything else aside. And so when I have uh, things in my own life, and just like you, you look at them, you say, "Lord, all these things look impenetrable. It looks like really deep places." And Lord says, "Just get near to me, and let me do the rest." And then all of a sudden, you get up off your knees after you've been close to Jesus. You have boldness you didn't have before. You have faith you didn't have before. You actually love people who are unlovable. You actually are willing to take steps you're not willing to take. All these things come in the presence of God. Isaiah did it. Moses did it. Peter did it. But they all did it by getting close to Jesus. Amen? That's when your response will become more and more rapid. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you uh, for this time again in your word. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to have that obedient heart of response to all of your commands. Lord, not are you not willing that any should perish, but you're also not willing that we should live less than filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that that power only comes in your presence, in yielding and surrendering. Even those of us who have been saved, Lord, we want to resurrender all to you that we would see a great catch of new disciples, of new blessing poured out that you would desire to do that we sometimes are restraining and holding because we simply don't believe or won't obey your word. We ask, Lord, that as we too humble ourselves and say, Lord, we are sinful men and women. We do not deserve such a great salvation, Lord, that you would not only cleanse us afresh and anew, but Lord, you would also send us in love and in boldness and in power. I'm going to ask the men, we pushed our Lord's Supper back to this week because of Wes Bentley's message last week. And uh, they're going to pass out the elements. You can just hang tight maybe ten, ten more minutes and we want to take the time, but uh, you've heard a great word of the Lord last week from, from Brother Wes, and many of you came forward at this altar and you kneeled down and praised the Lord you did. I hope that you're already seeing the Lord help you keep that commitment. But every time we take the Lord's Supper, we remember what Jesus has done for us. And it's not a more, a, not a more appropriate text than what Peter said, Lord, I'm not, I'm a sinful man, not worthy. And so take this time, to just thank the Lord for saving you and I. Thank Him that you're here this morning. You weren't on that flight. Right? He's given us another day to use it for Him. Amen? He's given another day to give Him our boats, our cars, our houses, our hearts to use for His glory. But also, being sinful men and women just like Peter, to ask Him to re-cleanse us, to refresh us, and, Lord, that we would recommit our own lives to you, to be used by you. So That the worship team plays. Just take the time to thank the Lord. Recommit. You've got to recommit every day, amen? It's not a, not a I did that once, constantly.